Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Conspiranormal Podcast proudly presents the Strange Realities Conference. Strange Realities. Come join us for one day of presentations on the paranormal with live music at night featuring Tim Banal, the rise and fall of the Flat Earth Theory, Joshua Kutchin, Alien Hybrid Lore, Joe Damari, pushing the limits of reality, Guy Malone, Roswell 1947, what really happened, Timothy Renner, Pennsylvania Wildman, and added to the lineup, Mark Anthony Wyatt, Cornish Legends and UFO Sightings, Zach Hunt, a presentation of his book on Rapture, followed by a live recording of the Conspiranormal Podcast, more speakers and music acts to be announced. October 19, 2019, SIR National. Tickets and info at www.strangerealitiesconference.com. $40 at the door, $30 pre sale. This is Conspiranormal, where the nexus of conspiracy theory and the paranormal meet. We join the show already in progress with your hosts, Adam and Seraphiel. Hi right, guys, welcome back to Conspiranormal. Conspiranormal. I am like really, really under the weather. I'm feeling like... But the show must go on. Really bad and the show must go on. So I'm over here like spreading my germs to Seraphiel. So, it's okay. so that he can be under the weather next week. I've got positive mental attitude, so I can't get sick. That's right. That's right. You got your Napoleon Hill and all that working for you, so you don't get any germs. And guys, we got a special treat. Um, there's another podcast out there that we've uh, a new one, well, fairly new that's well new to us that we've been listening to, and that's uh, the Brotherhood of the Serpent. And we've got the Snake Brothers on, and we're doing a little swap cast with them. Welcome to Conspirator Normal, guys. Thanks. Welcome to Brothers of the Serpent as well. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I've been um, I've been listening to you guys really uh, because of uh, well because of where did the road go? Because you guys mm-hmm. did a 
like three part epic series on like the missing four one one, which I want to kind of get into some of that stuff with you guys too. But um, but I've been listening to it. Um, there's a lot of cool stuff you guys talk about, like kind of like ancient archaeology. You guys are doing uh, shows with Randall Carlson right now. One like YouTube, like a YouTube channel show with Randall. And uh, but I just really want to know. Like you guys, kind of personal journey with like kind of the stuff that you talk about on the show. Like, how did you guys get into all this stuff? Uh, Kyle and I, we're, we are brothers, so uh, we right. have been. So yeah, so the the podcast name is sort of a play on words. There is the legendary Brotherhood of the Serpent, a very ancient secret order, uh, and so we called it Brothers of the Serpent because we sort of. Uh, we, we are brothers and we also are exploring ancient mysteries and esoteric information, which supposedly the brotherhood carried forward through, you know, through, uh, through history. So, and they would inject information. This is the idea of like injections of civilization in ancient times, you know, where you just see a a civilization just appear out of nowhere with all this, uh, technology and they just, it just seems to show up fully formed. Yeah. Kind of like ancient Egypt did. And Samaria, and right. you know, so the idea is that there is, and no one knows what it's really called, but the idea is, is there is this brotherhood. Uh, Graham Hancock talks about it sometimes. A monastic order whose sole duty was to uh, to maintain ancient information and carry it through times of turmoil, and then reinject it into civilization when the time was right. So our podcast's name is based on that brothers of the serpent and that we are brothers and kyle and i have been talking about this kind of these kind of ancient mysteries for i mean decades you know so we would hang out and and even even with our group of friends we would all sort of sit around and talk about pyramids basically and just like you know what's going on with this and what's up with this weird mystery and so uh at some point we were just like dude we should be recording these conversations that we have and uh that's really the impetus for the podcast itself so we also explore physics, like we're really fascinated with cosmology. Yeah, and so anything that's really about like how the universe works and what's really going on here, and who are we really, and how long is our history actually, and you know, it's it's all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So the paranormal as well. I mean, yes, yeah, um, magic, spirits, all yeah. of that stuff, um, the spirit realm, all of those ideas. Um, we've been, you know, we were we were raised christian and so that was that whole aspect was part of our lives growing up too and 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 so we always wondered about it well how how does this other realm actually exist and what what are its properties and you know right uh you know started started out with the sort of the fundamental ideas that are taught in the church and then and then as we started to learn more and more about the ancient world and and mythology and and all of these texts that come from the past that talk about these things we you know uh it's kind of been a it's been a long growth process i guess uh, trying to to change the paradigm of thinking that we that we have to to understand the world or the universe um yeah and it's it's interesting to go from you know like uh, somebody who has just growing up reading the ancient texts that are biblical and then expanding out and reading a bunch of other ancient texts and seeing all these correlations and being like, Oh, (laughs) this is a much bigger story and it's far stranger than it is taught in, you know, like the standard church today. 
so that was that was a big fascination for us, and it still is. Like when you you know, comparative mythology is something that we talk about on the show all the time. Yeah. Uh, what what books, um, ancient texts, stand out to you? What which ones do you um, do, do they which ones resonate with you guys more? I I guess um, parts of the Enuma Elish, which is the the yes. Sumerian creation myths. Okay. Uh, they how they correlate uh, to the the old testament of the bible it's like the old testament seems to be like genesis seems yeah. to be like tiny little tidbits of um now oh, we're getting notification here yeah turn off um, the notification sounds yeah sorry about that yeah so the enuma elish is like i guess it's the babylonian version of the assyrian version of the sumerian version <laughs> of this story so it's 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 not the it, it, it isn't the origin of it, but it's the closest we've got so far. And when you look at that, you see like, okay, this is like Genesis looks like a Cliff Notes version of this extremely long story. Sure. sure. So that's Gilgamesh is another. Yeah. Uh, also, all the flood myths. There are so many uh, destruction of the world myths all around all around the world. Yeah. Uh, it's, those are interesting. The The Talmud. Uh, the legends of the Jews, the, yep. the, um, I don't know why I can't think of the, 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 the original text that were, that made up the, the first, like, yeah, that's the, that's the Talmud, isn't it? I'm right. trying to think of the, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, uh, the, are you thinking of the Torah? Cause the, oh, Tal- yeah. the, the Talmud kind of comes a little later. It's like the exp- exposition on the law, I think. And the Torah is like the original first, like the first five books of the Bible. And that's so the thing that that really fascinated me was how uh, you, you have this story of this guy who grew up in Egypt, but he was not or, or he grew up in the in the um, in the royalty there, like with, you know, with the Pharaoh's family. But he was actually not one of them, you know. And then he gets he he goes to all their schools and learns all their stuff, and then he leaves, and and then he ends up writing basically the the Torah. Yeah. And there, those. How did he get that information? Well, then you look at the way that the Egyptian mythology or their creation myths came down from more ancient sources, like the the Sumerian mythology. And that's what he was taught in school, and so he wrote sort of a shorthand version of it. Yeah, and that became the the Bible, the Old Testament. <laughs> so it's yeah. just, I don't know. Talking about Moses, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have so okay. So the Watchers mentioning other ones here. The Zenda Vesta is that's the Zoroastrian text. That one is very interesting in terms of um, uh, it's another sort of destruction of the world. Thing, except it's more like instructions on how to survive it, you know. So that those are those are very strange and interesting, and and like he seems to be the Zendavesta seems to be talking about fire and ice as opposed to water. So it's like a different place, and they were, uh, you know, and he was saying go instead of building arcs, they were building varas, go underground and build these enormous uh, places to live and survive underground. And then of course you have in Turkey all these massive underground cities built you know built into stone that have multiple levels and could hold like tens of thousands of people uh like uh what's what's the one called what's the name of that that 
just I had it. I had it. <laughs> anyway, there's a bunch of them oh, in yeah. Turkey. I know. Yes. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. It's like this huge, just underground complex. That is lots and lots of lots and lots of rooms, lots of chambers. Yeah, it's somewhere I think in like um, I think it's Western Turkey. That's where it is. Well, one's is one, but they, you know, they so like a little while ago there was another article saying that they had just found enough. They keep finding them. You know, someone is someone is expanding the cellar in their house or whatever, so they're digging out to expand the cellar or make a cistern, a water cistern, and then they just break into this tunnel and it turns out to be this enormous lost city underground that's abandoned. Yeah, that's how they found that one. Was that just by complete chance somebody was doing what you just said and they just found this 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 labyrinthine ancient city. It's it's incredible. How far back to those date do you know do you know guys? No one knows. Uh yeah. they they so it's hard to tell because they've been used multiple times. So there's right. like intrusive usage, and so that that sort of that last usage sort of covers up the ability to to date. And you can't you can't date the stone. You can't even lo- use luminescence dating because right. it's all underground. Uh, so no one really knows how old they are. But if you look at the texts, the texts imply that they are very very ancient. And of course, you know mainstream science doesn't usually will usually not rely on the text. They'll be like, well, that's legend or myth yeah it's uh, a darren darren kuyu in cappadocia that's the that's the name of it and what's also interesting is that uh they are they seem to be connected by like if you go down to the very bottom levels of these underground cities they have just tunnels going off into the rock that go for kilometers and they connect to each other yeah <laughs> that's wild you know and who was doing this thousands and thousands of years ago, and for what reason? So, well, you know what I think is interesting about all that, especially when it comes to Turkey, and especially when you get like to Eastern Turkey, is the location that is so close to like Mount Ararat, right? So, you know, you, I know everybody's familiar with the story. That's where Noah ends up on the Ark, okay, close to Mount Ararat. Now, what, depending on what you believe in that story, whether you believe it into some kind of uh, of a fable or some kind of metaphor, you believe it's literal, whatever. It's interesting that all this stuff that is ancient, um, especially Gobekli Tepe, that is so close to to that area. So it's almost like there's a memory there of that's where civilization restarted, essentially. That's where civilization restarted in that part of the world. Yeah. Right. Yeah. In some cases, maybe that's where fragments of civilization survived through some kind of destruction and of course you know so we talked around with carlson i know you guys have too yeah oh yeah uh so there's a you know the, you, you go back to the end of the younger dryas which was enormously cataclysmic uh and even the beginning of it so you have like this thousand year period of enormous upheavals and then afterwards everything sort of calms down and then you have um the climac the climatic optimum which started around eight Nine to eight, you know, uh, nine to eight thousand BC, and where where the Earth was sort of healing itself, and it just kind of everything was warm and very easy, and there were very few people because they had just gone through an extinction level event. Um, so you have these these restarts of civilization, and this is where the whole the whole brotherhood comes in again, where you see just like uh, civilization seems to appear out of nowhere after this event. So, and it also happens in. The Americas. Yeah. I mean, we have these unexplained. All through Peru, there are unexplained uh, ruins. 
you know, like uh, Saxawaman and uh, Tiwanaku uh, and Oyante Tambo, these places with enormous megalithic stone constructions that are all dry laid. In some cases, the stones are weighing hundreds of tons, you know, and they're quarried from from kilometers away and had to be and the stones had to be carried across like across mountain ridges and through valleys and and they're stacked up in ways that are just completely unexplained and they're attributed to you know okay well the aztecs did that or the inca did this but it's not really it isn't really clear that that's what happened so yeah we don't know i think that what is the the most ancient has been described i think is tuonaco the one that's in bolivia very like isolated city on the, it's on an ancient shoreline of the lake of of Titicaca. Right, yeah. right, yeah. That's generally considered to be the most ancient site in the in the Americas. And they're saying now, I think that um, I may be wrong about this, but I think they're saying now that it's about like ten thousand years old. That's some of the estimates on this thing. Ten to fourteen, depending on okay. how. Wow. How you look at yeah. How you look at the astronomical alignments. <laughs> You bring you bring up a very good point, especially when you're talking about the one with uh, Turkey. Is that how how easy or how hard it is to like date these things? Because they could say that the last it, it could have been inhabited by two so many different people over so many different years and periods of time. So we don't they they can come up with something they can kind of lowball it a little bit to try to make it fit within like the ten thousand year or especially with. Dating the Americas of, is is like really um, the dating of Americas is like you 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 tend to go really low with that because you know it's not as old and they don't they say that it's not as an old civilization. Well, we're here a long time ago, right? Right. right. I was going to say too that the that the dating of Gubekli Tepe is uh, when it was buried. So, in other words, yeah, that's right. whoever erected this the the stone monuments. May not be the same people that buried them, right? Sure. So the dating, the actual scientific dating, comes from the materials that have buried the site, right? So mm, the dating is right. actually the latest that it could that, that could it, have been built, the youngest that it could be. Basically, yeah. we don't actually know how old those uh, T pillars that were erected are. When something similar so, is happening in the Americas with these, uh, w- with the mounds being used by. Uh, subsequent people later, thousands of years later, new groups of people coming and using them. So that similar kind of thing has happened. Right. When they, yeah. If you're talking about the mounds in North America, yeah, like yeah, all, yeah. that's right. They found like, if you read through any of the, uh, the Smithsonian, uh, reports to the Bureau of Ethnology, they talk about excavating the mounds and there's just layers and layers and layers, you know, and the, the deeper you go, the stranger things get often. And sometimes you find enormous skeletons. And it's, it's interesting to see how they, they start talking about the, the estimated lengths of certain skeletons that they're getting deeper. And then they just sort of stop talking about how they are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the measurements, at, at first, all the measurements are, of the bones are very, very precise. And there's very detailed. And then they, the measurements kind of fade out as they get deeper in the, it's interesting stuff. And uh, let's see, what else? Uh, okay, going back to the Middle East, Baalbek. Uh, Baalbek is a very interesting site. Do you talk about Syria? It's in Lebanon. Lebanon, yeah, that's right. With a, I mean, just absolutely enormous blocks. The, the, the Trilithon of Baalbek is probably some of the largest blocks that have ever been moved. 
known, you know, stone blocks. And there's ones that are still in the quarry that are uh, the, the, the one that was called the stone of the pregnant woman, which is like you want, you can see it's tilted. You know, if you look at pictures of it, it's sort of tilted in the ground and you get, there's pictures of people lined up on it, you know, dozens and dozens of people. And the block is enormous, 60 feet long or something like that, 19 feet wide, 16 feet tall. Uh, and the estimated weights were like 1200 tons. And then recently they dug down below it and found out that it's actually sitting on top of two other blocks that are even larger with estimated weights from 1600 to 1850 tons. <laughs> it's just like, who is moving that kind of weight? Kyle and I are, uh, you know, have been, we've done construction for a long time and moving heavy loads is, is not an easy thing to do. And we have a little bit of experience in it. And we've talked to people who have a lot of experience in it. And there's just, you know, the, these ideas of, of rolling things on wooden rollers, that you, your materials start to fail once yeah. you get it weights that big. It's just, it isn't going to work. And also, there's no road from the Baalbek quarry and the actual Baalbek site. Right? So if we, were to, if we were to do it today, we probably could do it. But we would build this enormous, like, gantry structure that would have to go from the quarry all the way to the site, and we'd have to flatten the mountains in between, so there'd be this big flat area, and then yeah, you would that just, would be an undertaking in and of itself. You would see remnants of it, right? Ten thousand years later, you would see that somebody had cut the mountains and flattened this area out, even if it got destroyed later. There's just no evidence of that. So, how did they move those blocks from the quarry to the site, and then lift them up and place them, you know, dry laid where there's where you can't stick a piece of paper in between them? It's just crazy. Yeah. And then the texts have references in there about singing stones into plays and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, you know? yeah that's right. Yeah, yeah. It was built night by one person using yeah. magic. <laughs> well, do you think there's anything to, I know among the uh, some Pacific Islanders, there's ideas of like, uh, I guess the Hawaiians would call it kahuna power and things like that. Like uh, some, you know, strange use of some kind of primal energy or some kind of uh, energy within human beings that allowed them to do things like that. Yeah, we, um, I don't know what we. The conclusion that we can come to is that there is some kind of lost science here. Uh, we just we have no idea how they did it, and that leaves it open for figuring out what it was. And it could be anything. Uh, I don't know what it is, but a lot of the legends imply that there was sound involved somehow. But yeah. you know, when we're using heavy loads today, the stuff that we use to move the heavy loads makes noise. Right. So, oh, you, you think of a think of a crane rolling along, and it's and you could think of that if you were hearing it from far away, you might think, "Wow, that sounds like trumpets," or it sounds like somebody is making noise. So, who knows? It's just like these myths. A lot of times, seem to be describing, seem to be people who don't have technology attempting to describe technology. Right. So that's interesting. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we're dealing with some kind of um, sound levitation of these stones right because that, that's one of that's been one of the big things that's been put forward as far as like how these were built was this idea of sound levitation i'm sure you guys are familiar with the coral castle stuff yes yeah we have looked into coral castle that i, I want to go there and check it out yeah yeah. I, yeah we definitely need to make a road trip down there but there are definitely some some interesting things that that happen in other words you can use sound in terms of the fact that it will you can tune it to resonate with whatever material uh, material or object that you're wanting to move and once you get that object resonating at its fundamental uh frequency 
then it's not as hard to push along because it's actually bouncing itself. And so now you're just. Yeah. Think of, think of the, the football players on the vibrating, you know, the old football, <laughs> right? You turn that thing on and all the players start moving around because the, the surface is vibrating. Right. Right. <laughs> that, and it makes noise. It goes, <laughs> right. So <Yeah>. you, <laughs> but yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily, it's, it's, it's fun to sort of take the idea literally and, and, and mess around with it and see, you know, what might happen. But I mean, there, you know, I, I don't know if y'all have seen that, um, what was that old video of, a of the bridge galloping Gertie? Oh yeah. You know, the wind. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've seen that. Good. I know what you're talking about. Talk about the suspension bridge. And it starts to resonate. Yeah. It starts to resonate this bridge and it's, it just, you know, builds up and builds up and then destroys itself. So yeah. it's, you know, so on the other hand, you think, well, if, you know, if they had a, if they had some kind of sound that was loud enough, it might just shatter the stone. Yeah. You know, so it's, it, it's gotta be, there's, there's more to it for sure. Right. <laughs> but right. This, all this stuff is lost now because of, uh, some kind of, you guys speculate, I guess, some kind of cataclysm, right? And, and like this, going back to this site in Turkey with these underground cities, that seems to be people building uh, because they are at least informed or have knowledge of there being these past cataclysms. And there's all kinds of uh, examples of that in the world of people actually, the, the way people lived was based upon uh, cataclysms in the past. And what's interesting about a lot of the, the, uh, the global sort of destruction of the world stories, whether they were by flood or by fire, or by ice or whatever, the legends say, most of them are by water. There is almost always a, a warning that comes beforehand. In almost all of the legends, however they work out, somebody gets gets a pre-warning. Something, yeah. you know, something show an e like the, you know, in the Native American ones, it's like the, an eagle shows up and tells the seer, the, the the wise man or the shaman, that a destruction is coming. Right. You know, or a comet so, or something like that. Fire from the sky or a star is going to fall or, or and so you need to climb a mountain or build a boat or climb to climb the largest tree or get out of the valley or, uh, you know, or go into the cave or uh, there's always a warning. And that's yeah. interesting. And that's going back once again to the, this idea of the brotherhood of the serpent. And also uh, there's also the the. Um, the Viracochas, right? The civilization starters. So like the Greeks had this legend of Oannes, this being who was like, like looked like a fish, but also had the face and feet and hands of a man that would come out of the ocean and teach the ancients how to be civilized and then go back into the water at the end of each day. Right. That's very similar to the Namo with the Dogon. Yeah. The Namo mm -hmm. did this thing and they're star people or they're, they're, they're always de de they're always depicted as being not quite human. There's something else. They're humanoid, you know. Uh, the Viracocha was similar. He shows up in in South America, according to all their legends, and basically walks the Inca path and does all this. Like it says in some cases in the Viracocha legends that people had forgotten how to speak, that they forgot about clothes. And they were just, they were like animals and in some cases eating each other. And Viracocha would show up and start to give them the tools for civilization again, to teach them how to talk, teach them how to build things, teach them how to do agriculture. And then he would move on. Right. 
So there's these weird like civiliza- civilization injection stories all around the world that, that, that coincide with the end of these destructions. So, right, exactly. We, yep. Yeah. Those are all those are all over the place. These these ideas. And the Zoroastrian religion is is one of those. The uh what's his name? Uh the god in Zoroastrian Zend of Esta, or no no um the Ahura Mazda. Ahura Mazda, yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's depicted as a guy standing in a in a disc with wings on it, right? I mean like <laughs> what is that? Right, right. And Ahura Mazda shows up and tells Yima you know, to fair Yima, you know, will you be my prophet? And Yima's like, uh, no. And then he's like, well, will you, uh, you know, go around and live by my ways and show people? And he's like, okay, I'll do that, you know. Uh, and then he has to tell them to build these varas to survive the coming destruction of the world, and they do. So, is it fair to say that uh, one of the f- the largest forces to really bring this these ideas back to the West was uh, the Theosophists? Yeah, theosophy did some interesting stuff. Um, but the idea of these successive ages and cataclysms and things like that, I mean, that, that seems like that, that really was the reintroduction of these type of ideas to the West. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. You know, I haven't, we, haven't really dove, uh, we haven't dove into theosophy much yet. We probably should do that. Yeah, I, I really would because, I mean, even, even just our whole um, – our whole conceptions of, you know, just, just there being gurus and Eastern religions. I mean, all of this really was not in the popular consciousness, most of the West until that, I mean, Blavatsky and them really, really brought those ideas. And I think with this stuff, they really brought those ideas of these, uh, this real antiquity and of civilization and lost civilizations. Yes. Definitely. The lost civilization stuff is interesting. Um, you know, Casey, there's a lot of the Edward, uh, Edgar Casey stuff too yeah, about, yeah. um, and, and we've been going through the Atlantis myth with, uh, with Randall. Uh, and it's very interesting how, you know, he's able to look at Plato and say, like, well, let's just take Plato at his word. And you can see that Plato was actually getting a whole bunch of things right in a very interesting way that science like corroborates now, uh, that Plato couldn't possibly have known you know, according to the standard model and like it's the date right for the end of the world for the, the, for the sinking of Atlantis. Right. Which, which corresponds to the younger Dryas. Yeah. What's you guys thoughts on uh, Atlantis? Because I have my own kind of thoughts on it where I think, I mean, I'm kind of convinced that uh, Plato and the story that he got from, who gets this from Solon, right? His grandfather who gets it from the Egyptians. And, I have a feeling that like that story is kind of a mishmash of all these different basically like Atlantis is kind of a archetype of the lost civilization this idea that there were civilizations before that were around they were pro- they progressed they were destroyed in some kind of cataclysm and so it's almost like there's a mishmash and like the um what I think Plato could also be describing is when they talk about how the Atlanteans were fighting the Athenians and all this kind of stuff, that he also could have been, there's a little bit of Crete that's in there, the Minoan civilization. There's been some speculation that that's actually what Atlantis was. But then you also have the Black Sea civilization that was destroyed in this massive flood. And then you have the proof that there was a civilization way before 
in the younger Dryas. <clears throat> so I just I kind of look at Atlantis as being just a mishmash of all these different all these different civilizations that were around, but also possibility that they were that they, they, he may have been describing some ancient civilization in the remote past too. What you guys thoughts on that? I that's kind of the way I I thought about it as well. Like it's yeah. there's you know even like the Clovis culture, for example, here, you know, they vanish at the end of the Younger Dryas and they, they had abilities that, you know, stoneworking um, abilities and technologies that, that were lost. So I, I had kind of thought, okay, this is also part of that, it, you know, um, and, and I, I think I got a lot of that from, from Graham Hancock, that this generally there was this loss of knowledge, but there were fragments of it that were passed on and that sort of makes up this mythological city of Atlantis. Right. right. But, uh, we've been going through this, you know, Randall's research on the subject and it's changing my mind on, on, <laughs> in terms of Plato's dialogues, like he is using specifics mm-hmm. to describe a very specific place That's and right. what was going on and how it was, how it worked and what happened. And, um, yeah, so I, I mean, I would just say, check out Cosmographia that's right for that because uh, <laughs> that's that's totally Randall's deal I I'm I'm going through a paradigm shift on that one mm-hmm. yeah but in general we have talked about Atlantis before and we agree with what you said that <clears throat> that uh, there is there is a lot of evidence for advanced civil and I mean advanced in terms of like they were a maritime civilization that had that had the ability to build things and they were an organized civilization i'm not saying they had crystal spaceships or whatever right <laughs> but, right but, right it's, it's not this, but, is, this isn't aquaman here yeah i mean aquaman was awesome right? <laughs> but <laughs> yeah so you and there's other evidence that they were very advanced the mystery of the maps which we talk about quite often uh, and yeah, you know was very reese map yeah so Piri Reese himself didn't have this information, but it, but it, he makes it clear in his maps. And there are other ones, the Mercator maps, the Orontius Phineas map, where these map makers were deriving or trying to do compilations, making world maps, basically, out of older maps that they were finding in whatever libraries they had access to. So Piri Reese was looking at the library of Constantinople, which probably had stuff from, you know, who knows what 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 resources he had there, but he was trying to combine uh, modern information that he was getting from around the world, from explorers around the world with what he was finding in ancient maps. And you can see that when you start to deconstruct the map that he made, you can see that they were getting the, like that these ancient depictions of some of these coastlines had the longitudes exactly correct. Right. Which implies they, they had the ability to build a clock, an accurate clock. So. That will work on a boat, right? So they had accurate clocks that worked on pendulums or water dropping. But when you're on a boat that's rocking back and forth, you have to have a, 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 a like a clockwork clock that is accurate that won't that'll lose less than a second in a month or something like that. Yeah, and we didn't have that until like the late 1800s. So yeah, not crystal spaceships, but <laughs> but you know technology enough to to accurately map. Um, Longitude, yeah, and understanding of spherical trigonometry to do the projections and stuff yeah. like that. So it's it's it, so they had high math, and 
uh, you know, if, if you go and read engineering abilities, yes, engineering abilities. And like they had, a, they were a maritime civilization that explored the coastlines of the world. Uh, what's also interesting in some of these maps, not just the Piri Reis one, but if you look at the Orontius Phineas and these other, the other Mercator maps that have these, uh, that have this like anomalous, correct longitude information, sometimes it looks incorrect, but then we find out that that's what the shoreline looked like when the ocean levels were like a hundred feet down which places it very near the end of the Younger Dryas yeah. when the ocean levels were rising, right? Because it's been copied from from an old, old map, and there's probably been like a bunch of copies, and you're getting, the, you're getting the latest one. So all we have left of those very, very ancient maps are the most recent ones that we've got now, but they contain this very ancient information that was probably carried and copied from map to map to map across thousands and thousands of years. Right. So... Whether um, you speculate or not that Atlantis uh, was in the Americas, what do you guys think about the influence that that idea had on uh, the different colonial projects and these like ideas from Francis Bacon and that that you know trickled down even into like uh, Manly P. Hall's Secret Destiny of America ideas, which is actually from from the Theosophists. But uh, what, what do you guys think about the, the influence of that idea on these colonial projects? Well, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I, we haven't looked into that. We're still trying to untangle the ancient information. I well, looked. wait a minute. There's, I, 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 may, Maybe not, Kyle has I may not know exactly what you're talking about, but I, I'm just thinking that the, the, when Columbus was going around trying to get funding to go across the Atlantic to find this, you know, Oh, the world's round. Yeah. Right. There is some information and I, I don't quote me on this, but that he had come across some ancient maps. Yeah. Yeah. That he knew artifacts that came from Egypt, yeah. ancient maps. And so he was like, wait, it's, it's round. Yeah. So there is, I guess I'm not sure if that's what you're talking about, but there were some people that were like, okay, you know, we found some ancient tech and let's go see if it's true. Well, and there's also, I, I know you guys have talked to Walter Bosley. Yeah, uh, several so times, we, yeah. yeah. So we have two, and we, uh, his, his book, you know, his Secret Missions series of books, especially the one with Sir Richard Francis Burton. Right. So there's, you know, so looking at Bosley's work, you see that there is, there seems to be some, uh, someone, some group of people maybe from the old world who knew that in New World there was, very ancient uh, anomalous lost technology and they were sending people to find it. And Burton may have been one of those people. You know, you get into yeah. the whole manuscript 512 thing and you're looking at that and you're like, okay. <laughs> you know, and of course, our, my, our question for Bosley was why Why is that information hidden? And he just, he was just like, well, there are people that, you know, they want to know this information but they're not going to release it. They're, it's not really clear. So I don't know what, I don't know what, uh, uh, effect that had on the colonial stuff, but certainly there seems to have been people from the old world sending people to the new world to specifically to look for this ancient knowledge that has been lost. Yeah, and Bosley talks about that with uh, Juan Cabrillo too. That that's what that that, that that's what that was um, through the Knights Templar and all this. But what uh, where where Serfiel is coming from is you know Francis Bacon and this whole idea of like the New Atlantis and being in like the 16th century as the new world was being kind of opened up there was this real uh his idea 
was that the the Americas were going to be the new Atlantis. And that kind of filters that, down in like the Manly P. Hall. And there's a lot of that that is, I think, Francis Bacon also had a huge influence on the Rosicrucianism. He had a huge influence on the the Freemasons and, as well. And so this whole idea that we're going to come over here, we're going to start the new Atlantis, which is interesting now that we've got this book, The America Before, yeah. by Graham Hancock, where like this, it could have been like now that we might be seeing that like maybe Atlantis was over here in the Americas, and they're basically this these secret societies that were over there at the time, the European secret societies. Their goal was to kind of reestablish Atlantis. And finding the antiquity of, of uh, earthworks and things like that here to those colonies right. where, where, you know, they were asking the the current uh, native inhabitants, you know, where, where's this stuff from? And they were like, well, it's the, the older people. Yeah. And that really that really lent to all this. So I think a, it was really influential, these ideas that they were actually discovering, if not Atlantis, some kind of ancient civilization that they were using you know the mythology they had to kind of fill in the gaps but then you also have this idea too that filters into mormonism which has a lot of um roots in freemasonry in and of itself a lot of freemasonic symbolism in freemasonry you know you guys know this i mean like mormonism says that the ancient some of the ancient israelites came over to the to what's now the united states and all this is where you get the book of mormon and and so these ideas i think are pretty pretty pervasive yeah. So, okay. Those are, those are great points. And I think that, so once again, we're going back to the uh, legendary brotherhood of the serpent, the idea of reestablishing right. what was lost. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to inject it from, from secret sources, like, you know, the black secret societies, Rosicrucians and stuff like that, and te- attempting to re-inject it into civilization and build once again, what has been what was lost thousands and thousands of years ago i think that 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 impetus seems to to just be all across history and and like you know i don't like blanket answers i think it's more complicated than than that but yeah you can sort of see like okay when we have we have all these questions like how did these civilizations just like explode out of nowhere well this is one answer that there has been someone or some group of people or some several groups of people who have been trying to do this since the end of the Younger Dryas. <laughs> right. It's a tradition that has been passed down for millennia, literally millennia now. And see, this is the one thing that I've been really wanting to get out of, like, Randall and a couple other people. of Just like, what do the Freemasons know? <laughs> I mean, is, is Freemasonry a repository of this knowledge? Because it seems like... Yeah, I mean, I know, think they would say that. It seems like, but it seems like guys like Randall and their in their research, like what he's doing is essentially what he's been hearing in Freemasonry, and he's he he's making this attempt to reconcile it with his research, or his research is reconciling to what he hears in Freemasonry. Does that make sense to you guys? You guys also. So I got a question. Have you guys looked at uh, Graham Hancock's book, um, The Sign and the Seal? Oh, that's one of my favorite books. Mm-hmm. I read that thing front to cover like at least two times. And actually, I was going to ask you guys about this too. So, yeah, it's good that we <laughs> were on the same page. But yes, the Ark of the Covenant our, book. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Anyone who's interested in our take on it can go. We we have two podcasts on it. We did a, a like basically a big book report uh, where we try to synthesize the whole thing because yes, it was nice. fascinating. But 
but the idea that the tim- like that Freemasons are basically Templars, right? right? <laughs> yeah. And Templars right. were the poor knights of the Temple of Solomon, and the reason they were there at the Temple of Solomon was to do what? Find ancient lost tech. Yeah, true. Essentially. They of course, were, you know, if the, if you buy into the Holy Blood, Holy Grail stuff, that was to find the bloodline, but, you know. Like, I think, again, I think it's it's not a simple single answer. Yeah, they, yeah. I think what, but but it, in basic, I would say that I think what happened is they went there thinking they were going to find something, and they found something or something else. They did not find the Ark, but they found something. And, you yeah. know, when you look at the, Freemason, the Freemasonry uh, idea of the, the, the two pillars, uh, Yaquim and Boaz, the, the, the names of those pillars that they have for all the Freemasonry uh, rituals, right. and those are the names of the pillars at the, at the entrance of Solomon's Temple, and those pillars were supposedly hollow and contained what? All this ancient knowledge, yeah. and also the Shamir and its properties and its history of usage. And the Shamir was a tool an ancient technolo- technology tool for working stone with right. ease. And that, that's relating back to all these ancient structures that we don't know how, uh, how they are put together. And there's obviously some kind of missing technology. So, they, so the idea that I got from, from signing the seal was that the, t- the Templars dug down beneath the, you know, they, they were digging basically beneath the Temple Mount. And when you look at, the, I mean, there's pictures online. You can see where people have gone down below the Temple Mount, and there's just enormous, gigantic blocks of stone down there that are like baalbek sized blocks down beneath the foundations of the Temple Mount that are very, very ancient. Hmm. Just have, uh, like, it looks like there were that uh, that they were using, in some cases, wooden structures around them to move them around, right? So I've got pictures where it looks like they've something like a two by four is shoved into the into a hole in the side of it to help lift it or move it or whatever, and that two by four is now uh, petrified. This is how old these blocks are. The wood that was used to move them around is now stone. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Right. So that's really interesting stuff. So like, so the idea that they may have found, if not the Shamir itself, but the uh, basically instructions on how to build one. You know, and then these rock cut temples start showing up in Ethiopia at the sa- right after that. And Ethiopia is supposedly where the Ark went. So they go, you know, so you go in through Graham's book and you get the idea that they went and they didn't find the Ark, but they found the Shamir and they figured out where the Ark went and they started chasing it down. And they end up in Ethiopia and using some anomalous tool, they cut rock cut temples out of mountains for the current ruler of of Ethiopia at the time. It's just awesome stuff. So yeah. do they have the Shamir now? That's what I want to know. <laughs> well, and also too, I mean that that book was what set Graham Hancock on the whole idea of the ancient civilization. Because looking at the Ark of the Covenant as some kind of ancient technology and did Moses or whoever made it Using, using some kind of ancient technology that may may or may not be known today. There's a guy out there that, um, a guy in Canada, I can't remember his name, but he built like his own Ark of the Covenant replica. Do you guys remember this? Let's hear about, tell us about it. 
Uh, uh, if, if I can remember the guy's name, it was basically he he basically built some kind of like a like electric device that he um, that he that that he said was like his own replica of the Ark of the Covenant. And basically, it would send out like these like these shocks that uh, he said that that's why people died whenever they would be exposed to it. To work like some kind of capacitor. It yeah. would store, right? And if you right. touched it, it would short it out and it would kill you. It would kill you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also, too, you know, gold, gold being such an um, um, conductive. Con- uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, it's being so conducive as well to electricity. And then acacia wood, and then gold, and then acacia wood, and it's like a capacitor. You have right. a, you have a conductor layered with a with a uh, insulator. Insulator. So. But it does other things besides shock people. If you look at the legends, which yeah. Graham Hancock goes through in the book, like floating, you know, and throwing people around, and uh, there's even one story where it it, it uh, uh, David goes to retrieve the ark to to take it to the temple, and it kills someone, and he's like, "Whoa, <laughs> I can't bring this into my city. It's dangerous." And so he kind of parks it on some farmer's land for three months and just. Sit, like makes camp up the hill and just sort of watches it for a couple of months. And the farmer, apparently all the women in his house, like gave birth to like sex tuplets in two months or something like that, just from having the ark nearby, you know, that's apocryphal obviously, but there's, it's, it basically says in the, in the text that God quote, unquote blessed the farmer with many offspring because he allowed the ark to stay on his property for a couple of months. You know, there's another, there's another possibility about the Ark, is that it was exactly what they said, because we, we tend to look in our, our own modern world and say, like, that we, it could, must have been some kind of machine. But, you know, I, I kind of base this on a flimsy thing, but have you guys ever heard of the Dybbuk box? Yes, I know the Dybbuk box, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So You think it was a Dybbuk box? <laughs> well, I mean... <laughs> that would be terrifying. <laughs> what, uh, look what happened with the Dybbuk box stuff. I mean, those people said that they started um, basically having symptoms that were very akin to, like, radioactivity. Yeah, yeah. And it's, when that... An ancient, hold on, i got to explain this to Kyle. I've never heard of this. Yeah, yeah. a Dybbuk yeah. box is basically an ancient Jewish uh, magical tech used for storing a spirit. Right. Yeah. Usually right. an evil one. And then once the box, the box will hold the spirit, but then it's very dangerous. Yeah, it's the thing that the Ghostbusters guy has carried around. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so this guy bought this like old Jewish wine box from these people, okay? And he took it to, this, this is what has been said. He takes the wine box, because he's an antiques dealer, he takes it and he has it sitting in his store to sell the thing, right? And his mom, like, starts having a stroke. Uh, weird things start happening. Um, he starts hearing, like, voices inside the uh, inside his uh, his shop. Um, you know, like, the, the alarm is getting tripped in the middle of the night. Just weird stuff is going on, right? So he looks at this thing, and he's like, this, this thing is cursed, man. So he takes it, and he sells it on eBay, okay? And he sells it to these college students. I don't, know, I don't know why they bought it, but apparently they did. So he sells it to the college students. The college students take it, and they have it in their house, right? And they claim that they started having weird stuff happening in the house, like paranormal kind of stuff, poltergeist activity, but they also started having weird sicknesses that were really akin to like radio, radioactivity. But there's no radioactivity in the house. 
Okay, like their gums started bleeding, hair started falling out, radiation sickness kind of stuff. They need some iodine. And so they got rid of it, and they sold it to this other guy that still has the thing, and he has it like under lock and key. But again, weird stuff starts happening to him. People around him start getting sick. And so there's no there's no radioactivity. There's no kind of... It's not an electrical device like we, people think the Ark of the Covenant was. But it's like this kind of spiritually charged device that will make people sick and like that makes you wonder whether, whether there could have been some kind of almost like spiritual or magical kind of technology that maybe these this ancient civilization used and maybe what we're seeing isn't some kind of like physical or physical technology but in, for lack of a better term spiritual technology on some of these paintings and uh you know like these, the whole like egyptian light bulb stuff and all that uh, I, I, thought, I just wanted to throw that out there as a possibility. Uh, Dara carvings you're talking about that look like light bulbs? Yeah, right, right, right. right. I, I think that that's an I've never made that connection. That's fascinating. Uh, and yeah, so what he just described is the story of the Dybbuk box that's known about. But yeah. a Dybbuk box was a magical tech, basically. Okay. And to answer the watcher's question, yeah, once the people weren't exposed to it anymore, people did start getting better. Once it was yeah. out of their possession. Well, and if yeah. it is something otherworldly, then then the thought is that it could impact and it could bend the laws of our reality and physics to maybe help in, cons- you know, something like that could help construct things yeah. possibly. Yeah, but think about it. The Dybbuk box is like this minor form of the Ark of the Covenant. Like the Ark of the Covenant was like more, way more advanced. But like these, the this would have been, the Dybbuk box was something I think that was... Produced by like the in Poland by like the Orthodox Jewish community, then you got to think about like um, the Kabbalah and all kinds of like magical kind of stuff that they were doing. Yeah, uh, there's all that kind of Jewish ritual magic that's out there. Perhaps continuing some of that. Yeah, maybe that they've 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 tapped into those traditions and they say, hey, let's make one of these things and see what happens. You know, thinking that uh, maybe the Ark of the Covenant was a device that created. Uh, it's a stable isotope of element 115. <laughs> it could have been, yeah, yeah. That's you know that's that's very possible. <laughs> I mean, get get Bob Lazar on that to make another his uh, an, a, new, a new replica of the uh, Ark of the Covenant. But you know, that goes back too, though. You got to think though too about you know, the Arthur C. Clarke quote, you know, about um, technology looking like a form of magic. I mean, that's that's what it could be also, right? Insufficient magic. Yeah, has the ability appearance of technology yep yeah mm-hmm. right and he's advanced magic yeah okay so i want to flip this around on you guys a little bit because we're talking about jewish kabbalah and ancient mystical uh you know orthodox jewish stuff and they have the whole golem the whole golem technology the ability yeah. to build a uh a being that can be i don't know animated through some kind of magical power do you guys think that that may be connected to some of this uh, forest spirit slash Sasquatch stuff, but these may be ancient golems that are still roaming around? Oh, man, that's a good question. Well, you know, the, the, the golem, you know, having the word of life, and when you erase a letter, it means death. You know, that's interesting. I would tend to look at all that stuff. Um, I think you could say it's similar to a golem in a way. It's kind of like the idea of tulpas or Tulpa. egregores, right? Yeah, the, yeah, these ideas that that we put so much energy into 
our belief in these these entities that we can we can manifest them and i think a good case in point of this is you know i've been a couple of times to this bigfoot museum down in georgia okay blue ridge georgia the expedition bigfoot and they've essentially what they have done is build like this enormous temple to bigfoot this is an original an idea for me this uh timothy renner actually uh talks about this but so they build this temple to bigfoot and then all of a sudden people start seeing bigfoot all the time in the area that's awesome yeah yeah so i think it's i think it's more of what energy we're putting towards these things because bigfoot right now is the biggest paranormal subject it's beaten out like ghosts and ufos and at the moment, it's the biggest. It's the biggest thing in town, literally and figuratively. <laughs> but the thing is, is that when you have all these television shows and all these people putting so much energy into this, then all of a sudden Bigfoot starts to manifest everywhere. And then the Dog Man stuff is interesting too, because were people really seeing Dog Man until like the Beast of Bray Road? material started coming out like 10 15 years ago no and now people are claiming and i'm sure there's some hoax stuff out there but i think people are actually seeing dog man and also uh slender man yeah the watcher just uh typed that in you know slender man is another thing which we know was made up 10 years ago absolutely totally made up but people say they still see slender man so all these things that are in our consciousness and in our subconscious, we t- I think we can tend to manifest these things just on a, on a collective level. And even though I'd lean more towards Bigfoot being paranormal, um, I guess this does all tie back into with, you know, Bigfoot's purported strength, you know, uh, maybe you know just to speculate creatures like that could have been employed or were part of these ancient civilizations that could maybe bigfoot could move around giant rocks i mean paranormal you know you you probably have magical powers i don't know i I, so listening to you guys show where you guys are talking about how there is like men in black stuff associated with bigfoot sightings you know that is fascinating men in camo (laughs) that's something that um our friend dan maslach down in atlanta he's been getting into that lately and uh timothy renner has also been talking a lot about that too it's the uh, guy in the suit and then the uh like redneck uh yeah the guy in camo. Guy. yeah yeah and these these guys have been showing up in a similar fashion to how when people have ufo sightings the men in black will show up and they'll warn people you know don't don't look into this any further it's just it's just the the similarities are very striking between the two phenomenon and you would why would you know you can almost understand that like with the ufos right you'd almost say well we don't want people to know that there's supposed people from another world out there but with bigfoot it's just it's it's odd you know and 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 i'm thinking but people probably expect that so they manifest these things the, men in, the problem with the men in black is, you know, I've read through a bunch of men in black stuff. You know, Nick Redfern has done a lot of work on them. And sure. a lot of the a lot of weird stuff, aside from how, how they act strangely, it's also anomalous how they just show up almost immediately. 
Right. Sometimes before the person has even said to anyone that they had a weird experience, you know? Yeah. So that's, that's fascinating stuff, right? Like, it, like what makes them talk about the experience is the men in black showing up to their house, <laughs> you know? Suggest some, some kind of paranormal element to them. Some kind, you know, and so then you start thinking like, okay, if this is government, like normal government people, like do they have some mass surveillance ability or – uh, is this more paranormal than that? Yeah. You know, and it may be people who are using paranormal techniques like yeah. remote being, a, you got a, somebody whose job is to just remote view anytime somebody has a UFO experience and then you send agents out to talk to that person or I don't know. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I tend to think that this has got to be all, all this stuff is paranormal yeah. as opposed to actual aliens because I don't know. I just, just looking through history, Whenever there was a more powerful civilization with be- bigger and better technology coming to a world or a part of the world where people had low tech, there was no way that the people with the low tech could keep the secret of the meeting of these people with more powerful technology <laughs> from the rest of those people because the, 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 the higher, you know, the, the civilization with the higher tech runs the situation. So it's this idea that our government is somehow keeping secret a civilization that has the tech to come here. So like they're, they're way beyond us. Yeah. There's no way our government could keep that secret. Like right. they have if the power. It, yeah. If, yeah. If the aliens didn't want it to be kept secret. Yeah. Now, if the government is working with the aliens. Yeah. No, that's, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> that's a different situation, but it's like, yeah, that, I agree. It's, you know, imagining like the, you know, um, uh, what colonists coming to the new world. And they meet the Indians, and then the Indians just go and tell everybody that they know that there's like, man, these sh- these yeah these ships, ships showed, showed up, up and yeah. these crazy looking people got off of them, and you yeah. know what? How do you you can't stop that? Yeah. Right. So I I don't know. I agree. I think there's there's so many paranormal aspects too. UFO sightings, Bigfoot, and you know, like when you really dig into the Bigfoot mystery, it becomes more and more paranormal as you dig into it. Yep. Yeah, it, I mean, gets, yeah, it gets weirder. It gets weirder and weirder. You guys have had Joshua Cutchin on the show. I'm sure that he's spoken to you guys about that. The question I would have is to sort of play devil's advocate on this idea of the of the consciousness of people manifesting these things. It's, you know, all, all of the kids that started reading comic books and read Batman and Superman, like, why weren't Where, Superman yeah. and Batman being seen all the time? Because the kids believed that they were real or yeah um and and in some cases children have a better ability. more power in terms yeah. of their ability to believe yeah right fully without you know like we do nowadays is trick ourselves into some you know yeah where basically. where is harry potter right like where you know if if people if kids if if a lot of people believing in something is able to manifest it then where are the wizards like i <laughs> i agree with that yeah. that's Maybe there's the idea that it's uh, these are more ancient archetypes that are you know that exist in some kind of Jungian sense, um, and that's why you know the wild man and the whatever the aliens are, you know maybe these things are some kind of really old primordial almost you know archetypes or images in the collective unconsciousness. Well, Kyle's saying what I also believe is that it's a two-way street. In other words, we aren't, it isn't like we're 
fully responsible for manifesting something. It's both ways. Right. It's it, what is it that, like that the experience molds itself to what you think it's going to be. So you see what's in your mind. Co-creation. In some way. Yeah. Yeah. Co-creation. That's it. So in other words, there's, there's, it's more than just manifesting. There's also something on the other side of the experience. Right. It's pretty wild. Um, well, what, what also is wild is the whole concept of egregore. You guys studied very much on that. Yeah, not familiar with. So an egregore is basically. Yeah, it took me a little bit to get my head around it too. We had uh, on Mark Stavish about like a year and a half ago, and um, it's 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 an interesting concept. But basically, when it comes down to it, it's a little more complicated. Is an egregore is essentially an idea or a concept that is 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 like a tulpa can be given some kind of physical reality by ourselves, but it can also be inhabited by an entity. So ah. we so we manifest it, but an entity can use it to communicate with us, like a skin or something. Yeah, yeah. That's that's. Pretty much, yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. That there's something on the other side of the, like, so so maybe we have this collective conscious idea, and something then inhabits that mm-hmm. in order to affect this realm. And so you have the, like the faith, you know, fairy folklore is like that. They're like, what's really going on here? Right. You know, with all of these accounts and all these stories, we've talked about this a lot. Like when you look at the differences between ancient mythology which often seems to be hiding some es- like esoteric knowledge about human conditions or what's really going on with the cosmos. And then you have these, this, this fey folklore that, doesn't, that has all these lessons in it that, are, that don't seem to make any sense in, the, in those kind of ways. You know, like, you know, throw a dagger of iron over your right shoulder to keep yourself from getting <laughs> taken by the... It doesn't make any... Or, you know, like, like right. boil eggshells in order to make the, the changeling expose itself. Those kinds of lessons are hidden are in these stories, and you're like, "What is what is this really about?" <laughs> uh, and it's interesting. Uh, people have done work on the similarities between fey appearances and later UFO appearances. You know that, like, so like one one that I remember is that is people used to encounter fey dancing in a circle and lights in a field, right? And now we have just a machine that's moving, that's spinning in a circle, and there's lights in the field. And and there's also the and then there you have an, an abduction experience or lost time, right? So it's it's it, it, is it is it that our consciousnesses are changing or is that a cultural thing over there and now it's different? You know, but people still claim to have fey experiences, so it's hard to tell. It's a it's a very complicated subject. What do you what do you guys um, takes on ideas of uh, I guess. Uh, what people call earth energy or ley lines, things like that. Do you, do you think there's anything to that, to those concepts? I, I definitely do. Um, I, I've never actually done any dowsing, but that's just <laughs> what that made me think of real quick. Cause I was recently reading about all these people dowsing for all kinds of stuff. And there's something weird going on there. I don't know. Um, but, but in terms of like, I, I, got really into uh tesla's work and he one of the last things that he was working on was earth resonance yeah um and this is a a a mechanical resonance so it's not you know it's not in the electromagnetic spectrum or anything like that it's actually the vibration of the planet itself and how to 
um, use that energy because it's it's there's a lot of it, right? So there we know that the Earth is resonating, and he was he was looking at ways to sort of um, in very practical ra- ways in terms of an engineer to actually resonate, yeah. res- like make a, a resonator that would a mechanical oscillator that would that you could choose a frequency, finely tuned frequency that would be in some harmonic value of one of the fundamental earth resonant uh, frequencies, right? And then, and so you start doing like, say you build this big machine on some rock outcrop somewhere, and then you, you start vibrating the surface there and it, and it creates this resonance all over the world. And then you could then go somewhere else in the world and build a little transducer to and plug it up, into rock, plug yeah. it into the ground, and pick up that energy, and then, and and it would, it would do many things, according to Tesla. Like we would be able to use that information wave to deduce all of the materials in the crust and everywhere, all around the world, which is it turned out to be true. We use GPR now, but um, and seismic waves, yeah, yeah. seismic waves to 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 uh, figure those things out, but. You could then turn that. You you would be able to pick up information on the on all across the oceans. So the boats at the time would be able to, um, you know, we'd be able to basically uh, um, modulate the frequency with information, just like we do with radio waves. Right. Um, so I think that's that's kind of where I've gone with it. Uh, but then there's also these strange electromagnetic anomalies. There's weird gravitational anomalies around the planet. There there are. I think there's a lot to uh, not not just Earth energies, but cosmic right. energies, uh, even into the you know sort of the electric universe ideas of these vast resonance resonances across galaxies that we don't even really we don't have any instruments to measure them, uh, but they may exist. They may very well exist. Uh, so I. I'm all about that. I think that's a really interesting subject. And do you speculate yeah. that ancient peoples might have tried to uh, tap into some of these energies or even things like telluric currents and things like that to uh, perhaps, you know, to use some ancient technology we don't know anything about? Or could they have used this type of stuff in construction? And I think also that, that we have to consider the possibility that there may be, there may have been in the past different regimes of, of, power in in terms of these different energies so you know we may have had a heightened electromagnetic field there may you know we, know just, we did actually yeah um uh, we're moving through space at speeds we can't we, we don't even know because it's all relative to the objects that are nearby to us we could be moving through areas of space that cause different um types of energy yeah. to be, be very powerful and so some of the you know, it would be like imagining um, today we've got all these solar farms, and let's say we were we were using solar uh, solar panels everywhere to power all this kind of stuff, and then something happened with the climate, and it was just cloud cover all the time and very dark and dim, and thousands of years later, people are uncovering all of these pieces of things that are. You know, they're they're saying, oh, these were using some kind of crazy yeah. energy, you know, yeah. but they'd never seen the sun. Right. right? That's so, fascinating. I never thought about it like that. 
we have this we have this joke uh sort of a kind of a joke on the idea of like you know the next cataclysm is going to happen and all the pyramids are going to turn back on <laughs> right <laughs> because it, it, so yes the idea that there were energies that are that are latent in the planet and that may be weaker now uh were being utilized by these ancient peoples or even something that still exists now we just don't know how to look at it because yeah the, the idea of ley lines that there are telluric currents that move through the planet like that's pretty much it, it, they're called different things, but that's pretty much accepted geophysics at this yes, point. Yes, absolutely. You know, so so uh, how to utilize them is the question. And so then you get into things like uh, like you're looking at like the brown mountain lights or the the Marfa lights, you know, where we have these strange piezoelectric, seemingly piezoelectric uh, occurrences where there's just like balls of energy floating around above the ground for whatever reason. You know, and that may be the same. That may be part of this energy. Like it, it's known that crystal, when it's stressed, you know, if it's if it's vibrated, basically will release electricity. And if electricity goes into it, it will vibrate. It's a transducer in that right. way. It would transduce electrical energy into mechanical energy and vice versa. And so the, the Earth itself is vibrating all the time. So you can imagine that there, if there's big crystalline deposits below the ground, that it's going to be making anomalous electrical energies and that may be what's going on with places like the dragon's triangle and bermuda triangle right you know that beneath the surface of the ocean there which the 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 crust below the ocean is very thin and is subject to be vibrated very easily and so if you have the right circumstances there may be crystalline deposits in the crust there that get vibrated and they make strange electromagnetic fields and people's compasses start spinning and then they crash into the water you know it's who and knows it could, and it can easily be turned on and off depending on how powerful the you know the the quaking is so right. if there's um you know we wouldn't maybe perhaps measure it on the richter scale or anything like that but but there's this constant vibration and if it if it changes slightly in frequency that that resonates, resonates with that with area the, yeah yeah it could create electromagnetic fields right that do weird things yeah <laughs> and and maybe people like what was the stuff you were you were looking into with the um like the the tunnels of of lava, uh, lava oh tubes. yeah, lava tubes. Like there, there are ancient sites that seem to be built over top of ancient lava tubes. One of them is um, Gunung Padang in Indonesia. Uh, Teotihuacan is built over top of a lava tube. Uh, so it's you know so you start wondering what were these people, why were they doing that, you know. Uh, and lava tubes, if you imagine a lava tube that's actually flowing with lava, it's going to be vibrating like crazy. Yeah. And so who knows what they were doing with it? Yeah, the watchers bringing up the, the streams of mercury and fool's gold. Yeah. So um, <laughs> there's all this weird stuff about mercury. Mm -hmm. Like in, in the in alchemy. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, and then the, in mercury the, is hard to, to get. You know, you have to be able to, you have to know some, some alchemical smelting to be able to get it out of cinnabar or out whatever. of cinnabar or whatever the the ore is called but they find pure mercury like liquid mercury beneath these same sites uh and even the um it's the it's the place in china uh where it's near it's the it's the it's the pyramid that's supposedly the tomb of the ancient emperor that's next to the place with all the the terracotta warriors you know, so they've done scans into that pyramid. They've never dug into it, but they've done scans in there and have detected like enormous amounts of mercury in there. And their own legends say that the emperor was buried in a palace 
that had a moat of mercury around it. You know. What do you think about the the role of alignment? Uh, you have, of course, astronomical alignments and sites being dedicated to to this phenomenon, especially solstices. Uh, but do you think if there's anything to like the ideas of ley lines and and the idea that almost like acupuncture of the earth that you can uh, you know put a put a monument or something to actually tap into that line or or direct the energy? Uh, I. I don't know a whole lot about ley lines, um, but that idea seems to coincide to, to me with with the stuff that Tesla was working on at the yeah. at the end of his life. Like there, you know, de- I, I think of th- these types of things in terms of resonance, whatever in whatever um, frequency range doesn't really matter. You know, uh, all. All materials, each each material on on the periodic table, each element has a specific geometry, and that geometry is conducive to a very specific resonant frequency or pattern of resonance. And so you would see, per, let, let's just say, there was some way they could detect, you know, these Earth energies or something, and then they would choose a type of stone because that material is made up of these very specific geometric objects that resonate perfectly with this frequency and then erect, you know, something there. And, and of course, they were very precise in some cases with the way they cut the stone. Um, in other cases, it would just be a very specific type of stone, just some massive yeah. uh, non-cut And they would, bu- they would build these sites on, pla- like you were saying, places that were detected by some version of a dowser, basically a person who was sensitive to these things. And they would, you know, they were called like the Greeks called them omphalos, like navels of the world. And so these seem to be intersections of these ley lines or earth energies. Mm-hmm. And they're, those are the navels. And then you make your, your sacred or holy site and sacred meaning you're using sacred geometry, which is ge- the geometry that matches the universe. Right. Yeah. So it, so it does seem to be built, it designed in a way to be, you know, quote unquote, harmonious with yeah, creation. Right. And I also think that the, you know, this is not necessarily a power plant type uh-huh. idea, but that that these energies have effects on our consciousness. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and and one and one example is just is music. So you take music. We you are. Don't, you don't know are, anything about music. <laughs> you know we're taking this acoustic resonance we're tuning it to very precise frequencies and combining these frequencies in such in in a way we're making a pattern out of it and and it's strange to me how a minor chord will create a similar feeling in in everyone that hears it versus a major chord. Major chords are are like happy. Minor chords are more subdued. They're sad or they're, um, um, I don't know, mysterious or, you know, they they just have these similar emotional reactions. Like we have similar similar emotional reactions. <laughs> Somebody just played a minor chord. Uh, so, so yeah. There. Why wouldn't that? Why wouldn't we have the same sort of reactions to? Uh, other types of energies, uh, electromagnetic energies, light. I mean, we we obviously have emotional reactions to 
different frequencies of light. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and that's been scientifically tested. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really open to that idea of maybe the primary purpose of a lot of these sites being just uh, consciousness changing or expanding. We have, if there are ways that we can heighten certain abilities of the mind to, to you know, some of these ideas like telekinesis or telepathy, maybe these ancient people had a, a deeper knowledge about those things. And they found these places in the earth where they could build a device that would amplify those frequencies and then and then gather there to sort of build up their ability and then go elsewhere and use those abilities until they wore out and then come back you know i i don't know yeah but i think i'm totally open to that i think that's a really cool um way to look at these these structures what one of the one of the topics we have delved into quite a bit on our podcast is the the whole tower of Babel problem. The, the, in other words, what's what's called the confusion of tongues. This is another thing that is talked about in many ancient myths, not just biblical ones, where there was something happened at some point that made people far less than they were in all kinds of ways. They they were no longer able to talk to each other, or they lost some way that they were able to talk to each other that worked before and didn't work after this event. Uh. And kind it, of it, it plays in all the fall mythology. Yeah, and if you look at the myths, the way they talk about it is very strange. You know, like you're wondering, like, wait a minute, how can you suddenly not be able to talk to other people? You know, so you're wondering, like, are they compressing a bunch of time together here? Like, in other words, there is a destruction of the world and people are all separated and then their language slowly changes over time. And then when they find each other again, they're not able to talk. But that's not what the story is saying. Yeah. The story basically saying that everybody was able to talk to each other and they were all cooperating and they became awesome and they attempted to do something. You know, they were like, they basically say, you know, let us do this thing and then we will be like the gods. And then the gods see what they're doing and say, holy crap, look at this thing they're doing. (laughs) If they keep doing this, they're going to be like us. Let us mess this up. Stop this from happening. And then after that, the whole thing falls apart, you know? So there, there's, there's strange stuff in that story. Like if you're looking at the biblical version, the part about like where they say, let us make a name for ourselves, you know, well, a name is a very powerful thing in ancient magic. Uh, and so you're wondering, what are they talking about? Like, what does that mean? Like let us, let, they say, let us make a name for ourselves. So we shall not be scattered across the face of the earth. And then the gods are like, let's stop this and scatter them across the face of the earth. Right. If you right. if you believe what Zachariah Sitchin said, he said that the the word for name is you could also be it can also mean rocket. <laughs> or to the heavens. Sky. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. What is a tower to the heavens if not a rocket? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> what other similar What other similar stories? Because that was what I actually was thinking about when you guys were talking about the stories. What are some of the similar stories of the Tower of Babel? It comes from from the Americas. Uh, and it's associated with the is okay. it Cholula? It's associated with the, the enormous pyramid in Mexico. I think it's called Cholula. Cholula, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And that basically the legend about that was that it was the it's practically the same story. And like so, people argue like, well, that they they the story was basically a corruption of the Christian story, but it's not. It's it it was gotten from these people before there was that corruption. But basically, the story is the same that they were building this enormous thing that was going to be. everything awesome and then it was but there was something about hubris in there and it was stopped 
by the gods and destroyed. And yeah. all that's left is this gigantic pyramid that's got now got a, like a it's got a cathedral on top of but it. But really, the another one that's actually very similar is the the mythology behind the building of the pyramids in Egypt. Yeah, that that they were a a way for the the pharaoh to reach the heavens. That's like right. that, it was right. their, their some kind of conduit between them and the heavens, and that's what their ultimate goal was. So it's you know you start to look at these if you look at these ancient texts through that lens of maybe this is some sort of um, corrupted translation of some technology that the people that are trying to preserve these texts don't actually know what the words mean or they don't maybe there's missing pieces or yeah. um, they've, for, they've forgotten meanings that maybe there's some kind of like they, cargo cult too aspect they could be talking about an actual advanced uh, technology as opposed to you know some kind of spiritual you know advanced technology I don't know um, I think it's cool to 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 consider both ways, uh, you know. Absolutely, <laughs> wouldn't rule out either one. And the idea of you know sky vehicles in ancient time. I mean, you have the Vamanas. Yeah, uh, that's what I was going to say with, with the Mercury thing yeah, too. Yeah, <laughs> kind of, they use Mercury and some kind of strange engine that would you know allow you to fly around. The Glocka. Before we before we leave the, the Tower of Babel, uh, I wanted to, to. I was listening to y'all's episode two seventy seven. Dr. Heather Lynn brought up some guy, a book that he'd written long ago where he was talking about this this really strange idea. He was a psychologist or something, and the the idea that yeah. our minds were s- separated into sort of two things where we were hearing these voices that they called the gods that was our own inner dialogue. Oh, yeah. And eventually we merged our minds, like merged these two things together, and then, and now we're like, where are the gods, you know? Yeah, the gods have left us. But that made me think of the Tower of Babel again. I was like, man, that's, you know, that's eerily similar. That idea, like the the confusion of tongues could have been the sudden convergence of these two aspects of the brain or mind. Yeah, it was called the decline of the bicameral mind. So I didn't get it. I mean, just listen to that. And so I didn't get a whole lot of time to think about it. But, you know, the, the confusion of tongues just going with that idea it could have simply been that urgence where they were all sort of of one language you know uh, was before when when the when this inner dialogue was more subconscious somehow yeah that's an interesting idea yeah it's a very fascinating idea and i think that it corresponds to um i think the end of the bronze age i think is where he put that there, but I was thinking, man, this this could have happened, you know, 600 years after the uh, the younger dryness. That's right. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's there are like Sumerian writings where they they seem to be begging for the return of this ability. That's you know? true. So it's 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 like something that happens suddenly to people all over the place, and then you know, and then there are these scribes that are like, I've they're ba- basically begging their gods, like, please give this back to me. Uh. So I, it's that's been a mystery that we've that we've looked into a lot. What exactly was that, and what was going on there? And it does seem to precede like the downfall of a bunch of very large civilizations. Well, also I've heard that Nimrod is analogous to Gilgamesh. I, I find that interesting. I've 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 I've, I've, I've seen that um, 
analogy made, or that the Dimrod is actually just another name for for Gilgamesh. Another cool idea I think about these these ancient characters is that they might possibly be civilizations themselves. Like that, like Gilgamesh was sure. a civilization. Enkidu yeah. was a civilization. He the Enkidu civilization was out in the jungle. They they may have been more like. Yeah, um, it's an allegory. And then Gilgamesh was the technologically advanced civilization. They meet, they fight in the beginning, but then they become friends and they, they go on to do great things. They conquer all these other civilizations, uh, you know, the different uh, gods or whatever that he f- that they fight along their, their path. Could have just been sort of a way to, to reduce a world history into the tale of two brothers that are going around, yeah. you know. Kicking ass, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but then you put that you you take all these all these gods and their different abilities, you know, like in the you know the Greek gods and goddesses, and try to imagine what if those were each you know different cities or different civilizations uh, that all had various you know different powers. Like um, this this civilization would have been you know on on some river and they had certain powers having to do with that. Another one was a coastal civilization that had to do their powers were, you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I, I haven't gone through specifically with each one. It's an interesting thought. I've never thought of it that way, but that is an interesting thought that it could be just some, like some form of allegory for something that happened in the past. I mean, we're talking about a time where there is no written history. I mean, written history as it comes down to us is from, from the Greeks essentially. Bards were going around playing songs. And just right, like, right. So this guy kicked this guy's ass. <laughs> right. so, so there had to be a way to maybe get your head around these things and try to understand them, and that was probably the way that they did it. Was just it was all just that oral tradition, and of course, you know, it's the game of telephone, right? Things change over time, and maybe you shorten these concepts so that people can better understand them, and maybe that people knew about it, and then when when they heard these stories they said well oh yeah that's what they're talking about but that's been lost as it came down to us now at the you know to make it interesting <clears throat> to the people sitting around the campfire you have to insert the human element the love story the yeah um mm-hmm. the, the tragedy right so all the ar- you have all the-, the archetypal stuff the hero's journey all that kind of thing yeah the hamlet's mill idea right looks at all these stories and says okay they seem to cross cultures and cross thousands of years. They're all around the world, but they seem to have these similar elements, not not similar in such a way where you think culture A was interacting with culture B, and so they had a cross-pollination. Instead, it looks like culture A and culture B had their source of their myths from something even more ancient. And that's so that's just like the maps and all these other things we're talking about these all these ideas point to the quote-unquote like you know atlantis this lost technological civilization from which all this stuff stems well i think that that's a good place to stop guys this has been very this has been a fascinating discussion you're about your podcast this is like we've been talking about the stuff we talk about the whole time (laughs) (laughs) well Well, let's we'll do another to, one. Yeah, we'll have to do it again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're gonna have to do it again. But it, well, I mean, you know, our podcast, we, we we're kind of we don't, we don't touch, yeah, we don't touch a lot on this kind of stuff. Although I'm really fascinated by it. But 
Um, you know, I've touched on we touched on it with Randall and a few other people like Laird Scranton and those people, but um, uh, we're we're kind of all over the place. Yeah, I mean, we talk about ghosts, um, Bigfoot, UFOs, occult history, occult history, and just like occult stuff in general too that we that we talk about. Like the last episode before this one was one we did on sex magic, which was a really interesting interview. Oh yeah, if you guys want to hear something juicy, that's the one. Yeah, that's the one you need to listen to. So I mean, we're kind of we're we're kind of all over the place and like as far as topics, and then sometimes we'll you know we'll we'll talk about uh, some of the more conspiratorial topics too. Like we've talked about Kennedy assassination, nine eleven, octopus conspiracy. We talked about with with Ken Thomas. So we're uh, we're kind of all over the place as far as topics. I think I think it keeps it fresh. You yeah, know? totally. You got, have you guys talked about flat earth? That's a massive conspiracy. <laughs> we we've touched on it. We haven't really uh we haven't really talked about it a lot. I, I kinda wanted to stay away from it, honestly, because there was there's so much emotion involved with the flat earth stuff. And it's got enough attention. Yeah, exactly. But uh we actually have a we have a conference coming up, and uh, Tim Benal is going to actually give a really cool, uh, really cool presentation uh, about the uh, the the flat Earth theory. Yeah, kind of like the rise and fall of it, and like the bizarre world of it, and why people believe what they believe in it. Yeah, so tell us about the conference. That's uh, listeners. Yeah, well, we you- uh, we've got the Strange Realities Conference coming up on October nineteenth. Here Strange in, reality here in Nashville, and uh, we've got uh, several different people um, speaking. Seraphiel just mentioned the uh, Tim Benal. We got Guy Malone, Joshua Cutchin, who you guys have had on, Timothy Renner, uh, Zach Hunt, Mark Anthony White, our good friend uh, Joe Damari. So it's going to be real cool. We're going to have a uh, you know all all day long. It's only a one day thing, but uh we we're going to start at 10 in the morning, go all day, then at night we're going to have music to close it out, music city style. And uh it's just it's going to be real fun and uh everyone's going to be really accessible, all the uh, all the speakers, so everyone can hang out and talk to everybody, talk to all your favorite researchers and there's uh we we just more than anything really wanted to get all these people together in the same place, but uh, it's looking it's looking pretty good. Like we'll have a pretty decent turnout, so we're we're really hoping. Yep. Do any kind of panel thing where you put a couple of these guys together, like four of them up there, to argue about something? Well, at the at the end, we're actually going to do a live recording of the podcast, which is going to be like a yeah question answer session with everybody. Be great! Can't wait to hear that one. Yeah, it's going to be cool. We're trying to document the whole thing, too, so hopefully we'll have video of the whole thing some way. Is this going to be an annual thing? Are you going to try to do it again, make it bigger? What the- if it goes well. Yeah, we're just we're learning. Uh, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a learning process, so we're, we're hoping. We, we, um, we, we've got a good space. It's over at a uh, rehearsal studio in a really big room, so we can fit like 100 people in there, so... And uh, people could find out about it if they're interested in going um, at uh, strangerealitiesconference.com. Awesome. And uh, what's the website for your podcast and everything, too? Conspiranormal.com. Or uh, any, that, that is with uh, two eyes, And you can uh, find that and, of course, any kind of uh, wherever you find your podcasts. But uh, we write a little blog about each episode and stuff on conspiranormal.com. 
Yep. And the archives are conspiratormal.podomatic.com. You can find those there. We got like a, I think this is like episode 282. So, yeah. You guys are way ahead of us. Well, you guys got a great. You guys got yeah. great show. You got yeah. You guys got great chemistry together. Yeah, absolutely. I guess you would, considering you grew up with each other. <laughs> <essentially>. <laughs> Did it ever get to be a bit much, man? Podcasting with your brother? Yeah, it's, it's been it's great. great. <laughs> <laughs> so no, Adam gets on my nerves sometimes. We're not even related. Oh yeah. Before we go, uh, we didn't. Uh, we didn't have you guys talk about where to find your podcast and everything. Yeah, go ahead, Russ. Yeah. Okay. So. You guys can find us at brothersoftheserpent.com. That's the that's the website hub for all things for our podcast. And we also kind of do what you guys do. We have a little blog post about each episode. That's where all the archive shows are. Um, but otherwise, you can find us anywhere you find podcasts. We're on iTunes, Google Play, and everything. We also have a YouTube channel where one of our good friends and listeners, fans, History Shift on uh, Twitter, or Brandon, he does all he turns all of our podcasts into videos for us, so we don't even have to do it. It's awesome. Cool. <laughs> so you can find us on the YouTube Brothers of the Serpent. All right, guys. Awesome. Well, stay on the line for us. We're going to close this section out, and uh, we will be back to close our, our section on Conspiracy Normal. So will we. <laughs> If you want your HR team to hire top talent for your company, tell them about ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology identifies people with the right skills, education, and experience and actively invites them to apply to your company's job posts so you get qualified candidates fast. It's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. This rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over 1,000 reviews. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Conspiranormal. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Conspiranormal. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. We are coming back briefly, but it, it went really well. I really like the Snake Brothers. They've got a really great podcast, and they've got a really great attitude and energy and they like to laugh a lot and talk about pyramids so you guys should uh, definitely check out the brotherhood of the serpent podcast for sure uh, we are gearing up guys for the strange realities conference it's closing in it's closing in and it is uh, by the time this gets posted it's going to be less than three weeks mm-hmm. so if you are coming here to nashville or if you are in nashville and you are coming to the Strange Realities Conference 2019, we're going to implore you, try to get those pre-sale tickets. Please. Because you can save $10. Because when it comes to to the day on October 19th, it's going to be $40 at the door. So right now, you know, it's just 30 bucks all the way up to the end of of October 18th. And it's just really going to help us with logistics. Right, if right. If get pre-orders. Right. So get those pre-orders in, guys, as soon as you can. That really is going to help us out immensely. And it's going to help you out, too, by saving a few few dollars on there. You, you can use that if you want to use that $10 that you saved. There's going to be <clears throat> all the people there that are going to speak, be speaking, plus a couple of other people are going to be selling books. So, guys, you want to try to you know help them out. By selling books, and we are going to have T-shirts as well at the conference too. So those are going to be on sale. All right. So I I think that's it. I'm going to save my voice. So Sarfield, tell everybody where they can find us on our Patreon. You can find us at Patreon.com/slash/ConspiraNormal or make a one-time donation at ConspiraNormal.com. Absolutely, guys. For as little as one dollar, you will get bonus content 
And how many episodes do we have up now? Oh, man, it's probably about like 25 to 30 something yeah. like that i mean it's they're 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 shorter than the regular ep- episode but they're uh but they're pretty informative so so become a patreon today absolutely all right guys i want to thank everybody for listening to conspiracy normal i want to thank the snake brothers for coming on and uh all right guys we'll be back next week on conspiranormal strangerealitiesconference.com.com the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running everything would suddenly stop hospitals factories schools and power plants they all depend on you no matter the weather emergency or time of day you're the ones who get it done at granger we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies count on real-time product availability and fast delivery call clickgranger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.